0: I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the the book of James. This letter from James is uh, James, uh, the brother of Jesus, the one who did not believe during Jesus' lifetime, but later became a leader in the church. And you say, well, how in the world? He did not believe, and uh, yet he becomes a leader in the church. Well, if your uh, brother happens to die on a cross, you see him die, you see him put into the ground, and three days later he comes alive, you begin to believe in him just a little bit more than you did before. And so James, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, becomes, we see in the book of Acts, one of the very earliest uh, leaders in the church, right up there along with Peter, by the time you get to the Jerusalem council uh, in in chapter 15 of Acts. And so he writes these words, and What's uh, interesting is that uh, much of his writing is reminiscent of Jesus. He might have not yet believed, but he listened a lot because so many of the things he say echo the words of Jesus. Now, as we come to this passage, we are are in week two uh, of this series, Money and Me. And last week was week one, Money Matters. And we said, yeah, we all know that it matters to pay bills, but we were talking about the fact that it matters way more than Christians understand that it matters, because it's not just about paying bills, but the way that we use our money affects everything in our heart and our lives and in our, in our eternity, so it's a really big deal. So that was week one, and we talked about uh, money being being a tool, and the last thing we talked about at the end was money being a trap, and so we're kind of... Moving uh, on to that theme today a little bit more, and this message is uh, talking about money being a, um, the, the pitfalls of wealth. How can we avoid the pitfalls of wealth? Money mayhem, it's titled. Now, some of you are saying, Whew, but Tim, I can check out and go to Sunday school right now because I ain't have any wealth I got to worry about. Okay, I want you to understand, uh, first of all, uh, we all ought to be prepared to have some wealth, because if you look at what happens to every single person who hits the jackpot and you know gets twenty million from the lottery or whatever, every time their whole life is destroyed and, and five years later they don't have a friend, so i don't want that to happen to you if you just win big one day or if something you know somehow the Lord blesses you with millions. But really beyond that, the fact is, when we look at our society, all of us in here, those who, from who make the most to the, those who make the very least, we have more money than 95% of the rest of the world. I don't care where you are in our society, in the worldwide standards, you have wealth. And so James's words uh, about the trappings of wealth are applicable to all of us. So I want to ask if you would please stand. Now, as we read James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, James 5, 1 through 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, who you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to this passage and we understand that while money itself is not evil, the love of it, the misuse of it can in fact be very evil. Lord, we pray that we would understand God, whatever wealth, whatever financial blessing you have given to us, that we are to use it in a way that honors you. Help us to avoid these pitfalls, the mayhem that can result when we misuse what you've given to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. In this passage, I see five different misuses of money, and since we've got five, we'll go through each one quickly. But I want, to, I want you to think clearly about each of these things, because each of them is related, and yet there are distinctions between them that are important. The pitfalls of wealth, beginning, uh, the first one is the pitfall of idolatry. And we look at these, we're going to go through and look at the verses, but look back at chapter, I mean, at verse 2 and 3. I went in and examined and see what God's word has to say about this. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Remember when I said that James' words often echo the words of Jesus? What did Jesus say? Do not store up your treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up your treasures in heaven, where those things don't happen. And James is saying, look, you folks who have put all your trust in wealth, that is the security. There's a verse in Proverbs that I was reading in preparation. It says "It says that m- money for the wealthy is like a high wall of defense. Like, in other words, we're going to... Protect ourselves with money. Nothing is going to get to me. Nothing's going to hurt me. I put my trust in money rather than in God. And the number one misuse of wealth, the Bible talks over and over again, is greed, misuse, idolatry. To worship money, to begin to look at it and say, This is what I trust. You trust in wealth for security. But instead, you find it brings suffering. He talks here about gold and silver being corrupted and then eating your flesh. It's it's like a rusty nail. And there is no shot that's going to cure it for you. Your gold and silver is going to eat you up. It's going to cause you problems. And so idolatry, we need to avoid looking at money as that thing that brings us happiness or security Secondly, in verse 3 also, we need to avoid the sin or the pitfall of hoarding. Go back to verse 3. Your gold and silver are corrupted, and their corrosion will be like a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. And listen to this. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Or other translations say you have hoarded your wealth or your treasure. In other words, you have stuff that you know could help other people, but you're like, I like my stuff, and I like it here right now, and I'm not even using it. I I really don't need it, but I like it, so I'm going to keep on hoarding it and storing it up because that gives me a sense of security, and I I just like my stuff. People count on wealth for protection. But it ends up in the final days, in the last days, in the judgment, it ends up actually being a tool for their prosecution. Because one day, the Bible says, as we stand before God, that money, that wealth, that resources that could have gone to help the poor, that could have gone to help hurricane victims or people in your own neighborhood who need help, whatever, and we just hold on to it and we hoard it. One day, that's going to be exhibit A against us, the Bible says. It it is there as a testimony that when we had the ability to do good, we did not. You know, that's the last teaching in in chapter 4 of James right before this passage starts. James says, before he ever talks about money, he says, To him who is able to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. In other words, if you have the ability, you have the resources, you can help people, but instead you just held on to your stuff just because it's yours and you like it and you don't want to let go of it, then one day that will be a testimony against you. Proverbs 11.26 says, people curse those who withhold their grain. In other words, people who say, hey, I'm holding on, I like what I got, you know, I might need it one day. Sorry that you need it now. And we, we make up excuses to not help people. The pitfall of idolatry, the pitfall of hoarding. And then probably the, one of the ones that is most talked about in the whole Bible, the third one is the pitfall of oppressing the poor. And this is in verse 4. Listen to this. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Now, I wasn't mispronouncing Sabbath. That's not Sabbath there. It's a different word, and it's a word that means the Lord of heaven's armies, in other words. In other words, what you have done when you choose to oppress poor people, You have actually set yourself up as an enemy of the God of heaven and all his armies. Because God takes the poor and their plight very seriously. The world tends to think, oh, you know, if you're a really good person, if God loves you, oh, you're so blessed financially. And you poor people, you must have been sinning. You must have not been living right if you're living that way. But the Bible never says that at all. The Bible says the way that we treat the poor... Makes a big difference in our lives. It shows who we really are on the inside. So, these rich who oppress others, they basically think they can cheat, but they don't understand. The greatest ref of all the universe is right there watching. He hears the cries of the poor and he is ready to to lay down judgment. How do you treat the poor? How do you treat the weak and the powerless that you come across? Widows and orphans and foreigners and the poor were often talked about in the Old Testament. as They were all those who others could oppress because they were helpless or needy in some way. How do you treat people? How do you treat your employees? If you're an owner or you're a supervisor, do you treat them right? Do you give them a fair wage? What if you own land and you lease or rent out property? Do you keep it up? Do you charge a fair rate? Would you want your family living in that place in the way that you deal with other families? What about waiters? Do you tip generously? I'm going to tell you something. In all the years I've been a pastor, and every year when when people come across the stage and, and we honor them for graduating high school... I've never had a single one say, hey, my career goal is I want to be a waiter. No one has ever said that. And so what you can assume in life when you go out to a restaurant, that is something they are doing to get by to move on to another stage in life. Now, there's no shame in it. It's good, honest work, and we should applaud it. But I don't care whether it's that college student working his way through college, if it's that single mom trying to make ends meet, if it's that older person who things didn't work out the way they thought, and now they're having to wait tables. They are the kind of people who are at the mercy of those who come in. And so it ought to be as us who are Christians who are uh, told by God that we're to show generosity and justice. We should be the best tippers out there. But I want to tell you something real sad. You go ahead and ask people who serve as waiters and waitresses, and what will they tell you they hate? Can't stand that church crowd. That church crowd that comes in, and and they wait a long time, and and they take up all the time, and when they're gone, they leave almost nothing. Oh, or they leave a a little... pamphlet, a little tract that says, uh, here, Jesus, the best tip you could ever have, Jesus loves you. Friend, don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. (laughs) Unless you stick a hundred dollar bill inside that, then they'll be happy to see it. I literally had a a man who claims to be a Christian one day tell me he didn't have to leave a tip because he left something more valuable because he left a gospel tract. I'm going to tell you that man and all of us who cheat and treat the poor wrongly, we will answer to God one day. If you don't have money to tip, you don't have money to go out to eat. That's simply how it is. Because treating people right, those people who are trying to get by and barely making it, if you can't treat them right, you don't need to go at all. What about cashiers? What if they don't scan an item? What if they give you too much change? You know, at the end of the night, their till's going to be counted, and they're going to come up short, and they're going to have to take it out of their pocket. Do you say, hey, you gave me too much, or do you think, they're oh, their mistake. That's how you treat the poor. That's how you treat those who are, uh, can be are powerless against you. What about people who do a job for you? A contractor, a service person comes and does a job for you. Do you pay them their hard-earned money? Or do you find some nitpicky reason and say, no, I'm not satisfied. No, I'm not satisfied. No, I'm not satisfied. I, I don't have to pay for that. How do you treat people with your money? If you and I oppress people, we will answer to the Lord for that. Number four. And this is in verse 5. The the fourth uh, pitfall is excessive, extravagant, wasteful living. Listen to verse 5. You've lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. This is the opposite kind of rich person from that hoarder from that one who won't, won't, won't ever spend anything because they're the Ebenezer Scrooge who counts every penny and won't let a single one go. This rich person is the one who lives it up. Man, they got the Maserati, they got the Ferrari, they've got everything. They they you know, or, or take it down a notch if they're not that wealthy, but they have got the status symbols, the clothes, the watches, the shoes, the whatever. And and they they eat whatever they want, they drink whatever they want. No no bill is too big for them, and they have just lived it up their entire life. While there are people around them who cannot even barely afford to pay their rent, or barely afford to eat, and they don't care one little bit. And you know what James says? He says, you've fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. You've lived high on the hog. You have enjoyed all the, the drink and the eat and the, everything else you can possibly enjoy. You've lived life to the full, but guess what? You've just set yourself up for judgment in God's eyes just like uh, that that animal who's been fattened up they've been boy they've been corn fed they've been raised and they think life is so good and they don't even know that the slaughter is about to happen people who live their lives in indulgent luxurious living thinking only about themselves God says they have another thing coming and once again it's just like Jesus words when he described in that parable of Lazarus and the rich man And in the afterlife, Father Abraham said to, to the rich man, Hey, see, you had great things in that life. But now in the next life, things are reversed. You and I need to avoid that pitfall of excessive, extravagant, wasteful living. And number six, the final pitfall is weaponizing your wealth. Weaponizing your wealth. Listen to verse six. You have condemned, you have murdered the just... He does not resist you. These are the folks that use money, power, influence, and control. They have gained through their their wealth. And basically, they use it as a tool to bludgeon anyone or anything that gets in their way. We've all come across these kind of people, right, that they are so used to getting their way that, that when you actually have the gall, the nerve to suggest that they're not going to get their way, they are astounded. They are shocked. And usually they don't take it too well. Usually they want to take their power and their money and their influence, and they simply knock you out of the way. They simply remove all obstacles with the almighty dollar, because to them that's what it is. It's the power and control to do anything and everything they want. They can threaten your livelihood or your influence or your reputation because the money does it all for them. They can do it through bribery. They can do it through suing you because they know you cannot afford to fight the lawsuit. They can do it in very subtle ways if they want to. But these folks use their money and their power to get whatever they want. They have weaponized their wealth. And the Bible says that through this, Uh, They have destroyed, they have condemned, they have even murdered the just. In other words, while their wealth literally wasn't a gun, but they can actually ruin people and destroy people's lives simply by influencing them with their money. We have these pitfalls we got to avoid. You know, back when I was a kid, um, I'm going into that in my day. Sorry. You, know, you know those things when we all walked uphill and all that stuff? Well, in my day, we didn't have Xbox. We didn't have PlayStation. We didn't have Nintendo. We had Atari. And I didn't have one, but my next-door neighbor had one. And as I came up with this title for the sermon, later on, I thought there was a little game, Atari game, called Pitfall. Now, it didn't look all that great. I tell kids, in my day, you had to use imagination when you played video games because, you know, they were all blocky and stuff. But I remember there was this one vine, and you had to jump, and you had to grab it, and you had to swing over that pit, and there were some things that looked like this. They were supposed to be fearsome alligators, okay? And uh, you had to jump over that pit. You had to do that or else you died by the alligators. And I want that image to be there for you with wealth. You can have wealth. You can be financially blessed. And, and wealth itself, monetary success is not a sin, And we're going to look next week about how we're to manage the money that God does give us, whether it's a little bit or a lot. But we need to understand, just like I said last week, I warned that money is a trap, that we can't serve both God and mammon. We have to realize whatever money and whatever wealth we do have, there are always pitfalls along the way. And we have to be very careful to avoid those pitfalls I want to turn back actually to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 as we finish this message because I don't think anything can sum it up better than this. Matthew chapter 25 verse 32 All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a sheep divides a sheep as a shepherd divides a sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left hand. And then the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and, and come to you? And the king will say, Answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on the left hand Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. I was in prison, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, And as much as you did not do it unto the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, we live in a world where fake gospels are often preached about Christianity being a means to financial success. Where scripture is twisted and to justifying vast hoarding or wasting of wealth that could be used to bless the peoples of this earth and to build your kingdom. But God, your word says over and over, from the Old Testament all the way to the end of the New Testament, that there are always poor among us and that it will be a test of who we are and what we really care about And it will be a foreshadowing of our life in the afterlife, how we use our money, our resources, our stuff right here and now. God, that is a scary, sobering thought for me. And I hope it's a sobering thought for everyone in this place that we will understand that what we do with our money really does matter. And there are these pits, these traps that money sets for us that we want to avoid with everything in us. God, help us to put you first as God. Lord, help us to treat those who are poor or weak or powerless with compassion rather than oppression. Help us to neither waste nor hoard but to give generously and to treat those in need as we would want to be treated and as we would treat Christ himself. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.